I think that if people can also become better at pointing out the things that your spouse is doing, that are, that are things that are going well, and things that you appreciate about them, that also obviously is a tremendous boost for the relationship. Welcome to Satori Prime's Have It All podcast, where you get your fix of personal development without any of that fluff. A podcast dedicated to the unending quest of self-discovery and remembrance. You'll discover new breakthrough thinking and feeling technology that will cause shifts in all areas of your life, your finances, your body, relationships, and most importantly, your mind. You'll uncover your truest self and for probably the first time in your life, feel 100% worthy of having it all. It's time to stop talking and fantasizing about your dream life and start living it. So get ready to have your mind expanded in the best way possible. Now, fair warning, if you implement what you learn here, your life will never, ever be the same. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. So today's testimonials from a good friend of ours, Gabe Arnold, who we've actually been on his podcast. And I, again, I wanted to share some feedback about this amazing meditation that we've just released. Again, you can get it at satoriprime.com forward slash meditate. So Gabe writes, I want to share my feedback on the meditation. I'm not the average user, but I think the feedback will still be useful. I'm on, I'm on the spectrum, which is one of the gifts I really cherish about myself. And it leads me to learn that I have some natural abilities in other areas of my life. I'm a self-taught Reiki practitioner, and I have some other paranormal skills that I've been developing too. Anyway, here's my feedback and experience with this so far. I absolutely love it. I've never done one like this before, and I felt like both beginners and more experienced meditators could really get a lot of value out of it. The first time I used it, I actually used it to channel some healing energy for my partner, Rachel, who was sleeping next to me. She had a sore throat when she fell asleep, and so I felt her energy in my body and focused the healing metabolism energy there in my body as I did non-contact Reiki on her. The next morning, her sore throat, which was pretty severe for two days before that, was gone. I was also simultaneously using the wires and missing pieces part to heal some emotional pain I've had in my life. That part is something that will stick with me for a long time. Thank you so much for the imagery and the guidance in that area. Anyway, thanks for providing this. It's already made a huge impact on my practice, and I was able to heal some 20-year-old emotional pain. I appreciate you both, and we appreciate you, Gabe. Uh, Gabe, if you're hearing this and you want to reach out, happy to share with you a little gift. And um, yeah, if you, Gabe just illustrated it beautifully, but if you're looking for a meditation that will help you heal these really like decade old emotional pains, and you've tried reading books and going to seminars and things like that, and it just hasn't cleared, I can pretty much promise you, because we've seen this time and time again, the results speak for themselves. You can heal yourself from within and this meditation is a beautiful start. So again, you can head over to storyprime.com forward slash meditate, grab yours today, and we'd love to hear from you how it went. Enjoy the show. All right, so welcome everybody. Uh, I'm gonna keep the Facebook Live window open as we're doing this as well. So if you have any questions as we go through this, please feel free. Let me actually put this on gallery view so you can actually see who I'm with. Um, and yeah, like uh, the headline was supposed to say is, uh, 
marriage is not a partnership. Kind of like a, a, a big question here. Um, and these two gentlemen, uh, oops, Todd Lynn and Peter Jacobs, first of all, welcome to the show. Todd Jacobs, Peter Lynn. Oh, sorry. Yep. There you go. You guys hear me? You good? Good. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So they wrote a book, not a partnership. And we had some interesting discussions. Uh, you know how much I love to discuss marriages and relationships and things like that. So I'm very excited to start diving into this. I was reading this book. Um, I think the, the headline, you know, I think there's like a, a part of me that was very intrigued by the name and I really wanted to, I don't know if disprove is the right word, but I really wanted to go into it and be like, what do they mean by it's not a partnership? It has to be a partnership. Um, so it was kind of interesting to read it from that perspective. But before we actually dive into the nuts and bolts of the book, I would love for you guys to just give a little introduction about who you are and how you ended up writing this book. Cause I think that story is pretty cool. Sure. Maybe I'll jump in here. This is Todd. Yeah, go for it. Um, so my own background is uh, a pretty crazy one. Numerous, um, numerous professional experiences. I was an investigative journalist. Uh, at one point I was a screenwriter before that became an investigative journalist to, uh, figure out a way to make a living. Um, and then actually realized I couldn't make a living really doing that. Um, and, uh, and wound up, uh, going to wall street where I was an analyst. Um, and uh, worked at a couple of large Wall Street firms. One was Sanford Bernstein and Company, where I was a partner, and the other was J.P. Morgan, the investment bank. And I wound up being an analyst covering the telecommunications and media industries. And and the the thing that sort of united and drew a string straight through all the professional experiences I'd had was basically my I, I felt that what I could do or what my had you know what I had sourced some sort of an insight into was taking very very complex topics um, trying to immerse myself in them for a period of time and then breaking them down and making them accessible to people who didn't want to spend the same amount of time in those topics but nonetheless felt they were important enough to to want to know something about so it used to be you know things which to most people are quite trivial like telecom or media um, and over time, it began morphing into things which became a bit more personal and a bit more universal. Um, there was a period of time around uh, 17 years ago when my wife and I decided we wanted to do something different with our lives. So we, um, we decided to uproot our family from the New York area and move to Jerusalem. And uh, I subsequently, and this is where I met my, uh, my long-term my long-term partner, not in marriage, but my long-term partner. And, <laughs> the other one. <laughs> and, and, and working, my other partner, working together. We spend more time probably together than I do with my wife yeah. sometimes. <laughs> but but we, opened up a, uh, we opened up an institution in Jerusalem 15 years ago where we um, bring in sort of best and brightest um, young guys from around the globe, English-speaking, and we give them a, a one- to two-year extremely immersive experience in – um, Jewish philosophy, Jewish law, um, business, ethics, um, leadership, uh, character development. And one of the things we, we found in dealing with this sort of exceptional student body that we had, these were, these were people you know, in their 20s, 30s, and actually into, the, into their early 40s. Um, one of the things we found with them was they were incredibly well prepared for 
many, many aspects of their life involving things like profession, but what they were not prepared for in many cases, even though they felt it was the most important part of the life they were looking forward to was relationships and marriage. And so Peter, Peter and I began um, spending a lot of time um, trying to delve into that complex area and boil it down and figure out ways to access ancient wisdom and very modern uh, research as well and to help our students uh, prepare properly and then navigate actually through the process of building relationships and marriages. And so my final, uh, my, my latest career, I don't know if it's going to be my final career, but my latest career for the last uh, whatever 20 years just to bring a long story to a close is, is the, the complexity we're delving into now is that of love, relationships, marriages, giving, um, intimacy, and how to, how to make that accessible to people for whom it's very important. And so that's basically what we're spending all our time doing. That's what I'm certainly spending my time doing. About how long have you been married? I have been married for 30 years. Amazing. How many kids, just out of curiosity? We have, we have four, four boys and uh, three grandchildren. Wow, amazing. Yeah, and, and Peter, how long have you been married? I've married 17 years, and we have five girls. Amazing. <laughs> your, your, your lesson was with the feminine this time around. Wish, wish me luck. <laughs> and, 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 and imagine his quarantine right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, all right, so, yeah. so let, let's dive into this. Um, I think that the coolest place to start was actually the, the way you guys opened the book, which is a conversation that I've never quite heard, and maybe you can elaborate on it, the whole part of um, Adam, and, Adam and Eve and how that, you know, God created Eve and the giving, and, and I think that kind of sets up a good tone for the rest of the book. Um, I'd love if you guys would, would be open to sharing that. Sure. Um, maybe I'll, I'll do a little bit of the theoretical piece here. Sure. Um, the, um, we decided to go back to very, very classical, um, ancient, mystical texts and, um, and conceptions from that, that exist in Judaism. Um, and I'm talking, when I say ancient, I'm talking, you know, in the thousands of years. And there are some incredibly deep insights there. Uh, about how relationships are made, created, what creates love, what creates, you know, giving. And one of the most amazing stories there is that when, if you actually look back at the, at the story as it's told in Genesis about the creation of, the, of the, the first, you know, human being, first of all, the first, people think that when it says that his name was Adam, that makes him a man. Yeah. That is actually not true. In the Hebrew, the, the word actually means human. Um, and if you actually read the text carefully, and this, is, this, this becomes one of those places where translation makes things difficult, but if you read the text carefully, it actually appears that, that the first created being was a male-female being called human. Adam, Adam is just a, the same as the Hebrew word Adam, which means human. And it was a male-female being, which according to the mystics, was a being which had um, basically one sort of shared body bonded at the back with two faces, uh, and the faces looked two different directions, and they even had the ability to procreate, and they were one, and wow, it sounds like a perfect story for marriage, right? They're one, and they can't, they can't leave each other, there's no divorce, you know, there's no getting out of that one, and they got along perfectly, and they could have children and everything else, and for some reason, 
the Almighty in this story. Okay, again, I, I, I'm not going to prove anything about the existence of the, of, of the Almighty or the existence of, of anything other than to at least tell you what the story itself says, and you can take it on its own value, because it certainly has a lot of wisdom in it for, for everybody. And what happens is the Almighty puts this being to sleep, separates the being into two beings, now called Adam. Now, now Adam actually means Adam, which actually is referring to the male part, which is remaining. And Eve becomes the female part taken out of that, out of that, uh, that entity. And now they're two people. And then they suddenly get a commandment to come together and, and, and become one again. So now they become one again. They get married, and the language is all about becoming one flesh and one person and one body. So the question is, what, is, what the heck is going on here? Like, yeah. God's, God seems to be a very sort of like, I don't know, a little bit wishy-washy in what he wants. Does he want it to be one? So then he created them as one. Why then make them become two? And if he, didn't, if he wanted them to be two, why, why did he create them as one in the first place? So, like, what's going on here? But the answer is so profound and so inspiring. The answer is that that had they never been one at their inception point in some sort of mystical inception point they would never have felt the lack of not having each other in their lives on, on the other hand if they never became two and they didn't become separate people who could choose to come towards each other, choose to give to each other, choose to come together and fulfill each other, all of their wants and their needs, and to build each other into an entity that could then become one again, they would never be able to give to the other, they would never be able to choose freely, they would never be able to leave the relationship and therefore dignify it by not leaving it and by committing to it. So by being one, it always rang in them, and by the way, it's only important if it rang in them, if, it, if it's the same paradigm that we're meant to be created with. In other words, our, our souls are, according to Jewish mysticism, our souls are really something that were part of a greater unity before we came into this world. And that is that feeling of longing a person has or that many people describe in their lives is I'm looking for my other, I'm looking for a significant other, I'm looking for my other half. I mean, that's actually the, that's actually the phrase that we use. I'm looking for my other half. And, it, and it's even better because we say, I'm looking for my better half, yeah, which is right. an even more beautiful idea. And the idea is that, that that is coming from a very deep mystical place of having been one. But now I have to actually choose, and we have to choose together to come together. We have now the ability to complete each other, but only if we accept the work, the responsibility, and the commitment to become intimate and to build each other. That's when we can get back to that original oneness. So that is kind of the mystical idea which begins the whole process um, in, in, in ancient Torah, you know, mystical Jewish terms about why it is that people want to get married and what marriage actually means. It's interesting in the sense that uh, we, we live in a world of paradox, right? So it's like you have to have not in order to have the, so it's like you have to have the void in order to have the light and you have to have hate for love. So when I read it, it was really interesting. It's like the part that was not accessible when we were one is this whole part of giving. Like, like it's, I mean, we can go into some metaphysical stuff about giving to yourself, but let, let's leave that aside for now. But that that's it was really interesting there's a great little children's book called um it's by neil donald walsh i don't know if you ever read it it's called uh, the little soul i think the little soul about a soul who's up having this amazing conversation with god and uh 
finds out that what he wants to do is he wants to experience forgiveness. And God said, that's really wonderful, but there's nothing to forgive up here. It's all light. Like everyone is just a light being. There's nothing to forgive. So he goes, well, well how do I experience? And it goes into this whole thing about how this other soul is going to write a contract with him and come back to this plane and do this really terrible thing for him to be able to forgive and experience forgiveness. And it just kind of rang true to, for me. It's like, well, we had to create separation in order to create that, that finding each other again. Um, so going off of that, I think that's what kind of created the, the stepping stone for where we are today. But, um, one of the things that we spoke about in the pre-interview, especially it's look right now, especially with quarantine, right? People are spending more time with each other than they ever have. And for most sadly ever wanted to, um, and it's creating a lot of stress and strain. Um, and we spoke about some of these things, but I'd love for you guys to elaborate, you know, what are the, the big misconceptions that we really want to look at right now that are creating this immense turmoil in relationships? Um, I, I, I mean, and you wrote in the book too, like from a very early onset, you know, like we're, what we're talking about here, just to give people context, I, we've said this before, like, I believe the relationship starts after the honeymoon lust phase ends. Like that's when the actual relationship begins. Everything that happens before that is nonsense. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd love for you guys to elaborate a little bit on, you know, what are these misconceptions and why are people getting so stuck? So, um, interesting. I just actually, I just actually spoke about this. I gave, um, they, they put together a whole series of lectures based on positive psychology. So I gave a lecture about positive psychology and marriage during these times, because unfortunately, if you look at a lot of the research right now, it's pretty crazy what's happening. Domestic abuse rates going up tremendously. Um, rates of divorce when people are coming out of quarantine going up tremendously. And that's not so simple. And as the situation unfortunately gets worse, who knows what will happen. And and really where, where we kind of, where we, you know, we, Todd and I have been speaking a lot about this topic, you know, it really is going to depend upon, and that's really what we, what we really kind of want to accomplish more than anything else in this book. It really depends upon the paradigm in which you see marriage. So if I'm looking at marriage in a way of, number one, I'm looking for that everlasting honeymoon, you're going to have some serious problems. Yep. Number two, if I'm looking at marriage as far as what can I get from this relationship, you're also going to be really frustrated. And what we really see that more than, you know, more than ever before right now, great marriages need a lot of resilience. And the only way you can really have that great marriage right now is a person has it clear in their head about what is this whole thing called marriage? And, you know, we always describe, you know, people always ask us, how do you describe what it means to be married? What's the definition of marriage? And the way we define marriage is basically you have two people that are totally committed to the well-being of each other. I am going to invest all of my energy, all of my time, all of my love in making sure that my wife has the life that she deserves, that she wants. And she's going to do that same thing for me. And therefore, when you have two people that are in a relationship where that is the focus and that is the goal, 
So all of a sudden, when things get tough or things get difficult, the marriage can actually not just, you know, make it, but it can actually flourish. But if I don't have that paradigm clear, so when Susie hit a situation of like, what's going on right now, one of the first places where things are going to fall apart are, you know, in that special relationship called our marriage. So I think that what's happening, if you had to go deep as far as what's happening more, more than anything else, is that people have to really figure out, like, what am I doing in this relationship? And if a person has their, a person has the right focus, it can really be that what this can, what this can do for your marriage, what you can accomplish right now in your marriage, it may take you years to accomplish it if you do it the right way. You can make, you you can have an unbelievable kind of growth spurt. But if you don't have the right paradigm, things can fall apart here very fast. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of. So, so let's let's go on that because this is where I think people are. I think that's a beautiful concept and people might hear that. And then this little piece comes in. It's like, well, I'm doing all of this for her or for him and they're not keeping up their end of the bargain. Like they're not doing it for me. So what, I'm just going to keep doing and doing and doing and doing. And like they just keep getting to sit there and that as soon as that story kind of like starts coming in and then we start finding the proof, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So I find that a lot of people are past where you just described, mm-hmm. but like, that's, that's a great concept, but like they're in it and they're already on the other side of it. Like, well, they promise that they're going to do this and then, and then like whatever it is. Right. So how do we kind of start undoing that piece? So okay. this is this is this is exactly where the title of our book comes in. Okay, the book is called "Not a Partnership: Why Why We Keep Failing in Marriage and Right How We Can Succeed." But the um, or how we keep how we keep getting marriage wrong and how we can get it right. The the um, it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a title that jars people when they first hear it. And as you said, like, what are you talking about? Marriage is the ultimate partnership. I mean, how can you say it's not a partnership? But I, I, I actually believe um, that what you just touched on is the cornerstone of why we titled the book what we titled it. Um, part of my background on Wall Street was I spent a lot of time working with McKinsey and Company, which is you know one of the great uh, strategy consulting firms. And, um, and almost anybody who's been in the world of consulting can tell you that that one of the one of the great failures out there in the world of business is what's called the partnership. Uh, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of partnerships that are that are begun in the world of business, and and most of them fail. Now you might think that why do most of them fail? Well, they probably have bad products. They you know they don't get good distribution. They're not well financed. Uh, and according to a lot of the research that we've actually seen, that's not that is not at the heart of why most partnerships fail. Most partnerships fail, Elon, exactly on the point that you just said. Because mo- what is a partnership? A partnership is. I have my rights and my responsibilities, and you, my partner, you have your rights and your responsibilities. And, and therefore, I spend all of my time pretty much looking at you to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Most people give themselves tremendously the benefit of the doubt in terms of what they're contributing, and they're very, very, very precise and harsh when it comes to the judgment they give to the partner. So the classic partnership breaks up because not because of the bad product, but because I'm doing everything and you're not doing your piece of it. And, and therefore, 
if that breaks up partnerships in the world of business, we believe that is what breaks up loads of partnerships exactly for the reason you were saying in the world of marriage, because as soon as things get tense, as soon as things go a little bit wrong and not my way, I'm immediately looking at my spouse and saying, you know, I did this, how come you're not doing that? And I did that, then how come you're not doing this? And I always look at you as the partner who's not putting up your end of the, of the, of the deal. And that is why most of the relationships begin to fail early on. Now, by the way, you know, um, spoiler alert, marriage really is a partnership, ultimately. It's the ultimate partnership. It's the most unbelievable partnership. When people get beyond the kind of superficial um, and destructive vision of what a partnership is. And I, I think that, it, that, that, that the way we sort of express this in the book, when we get from the theoretical to the practical, and I think, you know, Peter will, will elaborate on this, is that, is that one of the great things that is possible to do in marriage is to save it, even if my spouse is not doing their part, even if objectively my spouse is falling short for whatever reason, because they don't have, they don't feel well, they don't have the wherewithal, they're going through a depression, they are frustrated, they are any number of things that could be that could be causing either one of us at any given moment not to really be putting out into the relationship. Um, it, the, the correct thing to do is to take the responsibility on yourself, and that actually becomes one of the what we call the four pillars of giving that we go through in the book. I don't know, Peter, if you want to you know elaborate on how a person can do that. I just want to just add just one point here just to, to go off the top of what you're saying is, and this is what I said in this lecture that I gave to these people that are, you know, like you said, like, okay, now that we're in this crazy thing, right? And the world is being turned upside down. You know, I said to everyone, I said, um, you know, I said that it's a fascinating thing. We are cut off from the entire world right now, but you're not cut off from your marriage. Hmm. And therefore, you know, I'm not trying to be religious, but if there's anything of what to focus on, you focus on what's in front of you right now. And people, you know, speak about all the time, my marriage is so important to me, my marriage is so important to me, but life gets busy and there are a lot of distractions. And what I really feel, you know, and I, uh, I quoted my lecture, Van Halen, who wrote a famous song called Right Now. <laughs> I really feel, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I really feel that, Great Jewish mystics. If, if exactly. people see, if people see, um, you know, if people really see this as an opportunity that, listen, whether I like it or not, this is my marriage, and this is the person I'm married to. If people take this opportunity right now to say, let's face it together right now. Do I have the right paradigm for marriage? What are my issues in the marriage? What can we do to change things? You know, it can really be an opportunity to even take marriages that are struggling to maybe help them make that turn because whether you like it or not, you are stuck at home. And you're dealing with everything else in the world via Zoom, except hopefully your marriage. And therefore, if a person can kind of take that, you know, that idea and say, you know, I'm gonna embrace it and really try and make some huge life changes, I really think that and maybe I'm being too optimistic that really marriages can actually really make a real shift if people realize this is my priority right now and nothing else really is. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we kind of had this chat before, but we were saying how like big, big change and big transformation always comes with uh, friction and resistance and things like that. And, um, you know, Israel has been ahead of us, uh, but, you know, 
for the most part, I think people have kind of been in this quarantine for let's say about a month. Right. Um, and we were saying how for this, this period of time, and I can start to see the, the inkling of where it's going, but this period of time has almost been kind of this like staycation for people. You know, they've, they've, filled their fridges. They've been going through their liquor cabinets. Uh, they've been binge watching tiger King and finished every show on Netflix. And it's going to get to the point where the, the coping mechanisms aren't going to be enough. The sticking your head in the sand moment and expecting that this is all going to be over for real soon. And I can go back to my normal life ain't happening. Um, and I think what you're alluding to right now, it's like, everyone's going to have a choice and that choice is to either face these aspects that they've, they've just been dishonest with themselves about like nothing that you're going to find out here is going to be brand spanking new information to you. We're like, Oh my gosh, my relationship doesn't, it, it didn't happen last Tuesday. Like this is stuff that's been happening for a long time. And um, I love what you said because we say this all the time. It's like, one of the biggest resistant points to any relationship work, it's th this delusion that you have to have the other partner on board. Like, I'm not going to take the seminar because they're not going to want to take it. And then it's going to be worthless. And, and I think that's so important that you brought that through. It's like, it just takes one, one to start. And that kind of uh, snowballs it from there. So let's kind of look at the more practical side of things what is, you know, one, two, three things that someone can do right now at home in quarantine to start to create these micro shifts. And I just want to point out to everyone, like you've spent however many years building falsehoods that are, have been destroying your relationships to think that you're going to snap your fingers and this stuff is going to happen overnight is such a mistake. It's like if you're a 300 pound human being and then your goal is by the end of this week to have six pack abs, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Like that ain't happening. So, mm -hmm. you know, just keep things with a grain of salt. Like it just takes one thing that you hear here that you can hold on to and put into practice. You don't have to do everything, but yeah, I would love for you guys to share some of those opportunities. So maybe let me, let me, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to go through a few of them right now. Um, let me start with one, which I think is on our topic here. And it's actually, in my mind, the most powerful form of giving, giving, but it's yet probably the most indirect approach to giving, which is like this. You know, every single person has basically a few core negative traits in their life. People think they're really complicated. People are actually quite simple. Okay. Things manifest maybe in a complicated manner, but People are actually quite simple in their core. And you take a person, let's say, let's say a person has an anger issue in their life. You're gonna see that anger issue comes out everywhere. The guy snaps people at work, he argues with his landlord, he's snappy with his friends, he snaps at his kids, he snaps at his wife, he's frustrated at the bank, he's across the board, that anger issue pops its head everywhere. Yep. Okay, so I'll bet you all the money in my pocket right now, the place that probably pops its head the most is where you let your guard down, which is in your marriage. Okay, that's the place where we let our guard down usually the most and where we beg the most kind of, you know, forgiveness. Like we want, you know, people to be really lenient with us. Our spouses shouldn't can be exactly more, with us. Can you say more about that? Because that's interesting. I like the phrasing. 
what do you mean by letting your guard down the most? I, I, I'm, so let me hear, I'll, I'll finish this point and I'll yeah. tell you, go. Yeah, yeah, please. So, so I find like this, what happens is, is that, you know, let's say, let, let's say you have one of these issues in your life, okay? If a person decides that, you know what, I'm gonna use this time while I am at home to figure out one of these core traits right now, forget my marriage. I'm pretending as if I'm a single guy living who knows where, forget my marriage, and I'm going to take this core trait and I'm gonna to begin to work at it. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take an online masterclass. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to read these books. I'm going to find this therapist. Therapists are still open and working right now, okay? And the person decides that, you know what? I'm going to take one of my issues and I'm going to take responsibility for it. All of a sudden, what you'll see is the most amazing thing is now let's bring it back into marriage. Now you have this guy. Imagine this guy gets into, you know, he gets in the bed at night and next to his bed, you know, he's got a whole bunch of books, some Tony Robbins books on anger management. You know, he's got this podcast he's listening to. He's got an appointment tomorrow morning. He's got to wake up at nine. He's got an appointment with his therapist. And all of a sudden, his spouse, okay, sees that, whoa, my husband is like, taking responsibility for himself on an issue which doesn't just impact his professional life, it especially impacts our marriage. You know what's gonna happen? All of a sudden, the spouse is gonna maybe look at herself and say, well, what do I do? You know, what's my core issue that I could maybe work on? And therefore, that what you now have is I have this image of a, you know, a couple in their bedroom and they each have stacked up next to their bed, you know, all those <laughs> self-help books. And all of a sudden, you've created this upward spiral of now people working on themselves for the sake of the marriage, but something that's going to actually impact their lives way beyond their marriage as well. Um, so that's something, practically speaking, if people can kind of look at their lives and figure out, you know, what's one of my core issues and what can I do to start taking responsibility, they're going to see benefit in all areas of their life, but especially in their marriage. Um, just going off what we said before is that, listen, you know, all of us live, you know, public lives and private lives. And a lot of times we, we we're great at giving that public persona everything that it needs. You know, I dress a certain way, I act a certain way, I regulate myself as far as I don't say things I actually think. You know, if I said the things that came to my mind, I basically have no friends, no job, no family, nothing, right? But I'm, I'm, really, I'm really good at doing that when I'm, you know, out in the public. And then what happens is we come home and we basically, a lot of times, we expect our home to be a place where I can just be, you know, who I am naturally. And a lot of times people come home and they stop trying and they stop working on themselves and they expect there to be, the, the expectation we have at home is that you should be forgiving, I should be able to be myself, this is a place where I can, you know, I don't have to work hard as far as acting a certain way. Mm. And the reality is that's a huge, that's, 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 that is an unfortunate paradigm which is a source of mass destruction. Yeah. And we can't say that our marriages are the most important things in our life, but yet we don't work hard when it comes to them a person's life as far as who you want to be and how hard you try, you've got to work harder in your home. And if your marriage is so important to you, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. 
I think I think now people are just confronting their lack of effort, right? Within their in their relationships and marriage, it's like um, you you take something for granted. You kind of I, I like what you said. You let your guard down. It's like you just expect these people to love you unconditionally, no matter what. Um, without you having to put forth that effort. And that that's just a crazy, crazy thing to stand from. Um, there was a line in the book that really, really stood out to me. Um, I wrote it down here is we love where we give. I'd never really heard that. Um, so two part question one, just elaborate on that a little bit. Um, and, Two on the on the more practical side again it's like people i find relationships break down for me because of lack of communication like that that kind of creates that rift and then all these other pieces follow but to say to someone give to someone that in their mind they created as this devil right to, to some extent um can be very, very difficult. Like, like something simple as like getting your wife a glass of water or making her becomes this like, cue. I'm not going to give you that blah, blah, blah. Right. Because it's like a, so, um, I'd love to just take the conversation in that direction because I really do think that that's one of those things that can spark a relationship back up. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you the, um, the decision to put that line and that concept in the book actually was an outgrowth of a, of a true story back in my business days, um, there was a, a situation, um, this goes back 20 years ago, and I was, there was, a, there was a small group of us from JP Morgan and a small group from McKinsey & Company. We'd done a big joint piece of research, and as soon as the piece of research came out, we chartered a plane and we went around the country to see their biggest clients and our biggest clients. And, and we got to be, there were, there were probably, I think, six of us, um, seen, you know, more or less, like three senior people from J.P. Morgan, three senior people from McKinsey, and we got to know each other, and we spent a lot of time at 30,000 feet, you know, at the end of long days, crisscrossing the country. And, and one night we were, you know, everybody was kind of by this point, you know, you know friendly and tired enough that we were saying, you know, sharing our lives a little more than we might have wanted to. <laughs> And and one and there was a a young analyst from J.P. Morgan who was on our team, and I remember he sort of out of nowhere started complaining about his marriage, and he said, you know, I remember it wasn't so many years ago my wife and I got married and she was so amazing and marriage was so amazing and like you know the way she made me feel and the things she did for me and everything else and like he goes now like you know. She, she doesn't do anything for me anymore. Like, and I just, you know, I'm just like, like totally falling out of love with her. And like, and, and, and now at that point, like a lot of heads on the plane, most of the other guys were older, by the way, it was yeah. totally, it was a, they all, all the, everybody's, you know, kind of nodding. Yeah. You know, our marriage, just, yeah, like. you know, and, and, and I guess the heads were nodding more according to how long you had been uh, married. And, and I decided now I, I normally never got involved in any kind of like, Jewish mysticism in my business life, but I decided <laughs> this was a time I said, listen, you know, um, I said, I think maybe the whole problem here is that you've got the wrong paradigm you're working with and you just have no idea how love is created. 
and he and like suddenly like all heads turned like what what are you talking about so i said well there was this old rabbi named rabbi desler he was a famous rabbi in the in the early 1900s and into i think into like the 1930s or 40s and um and he wrote a fundamental essay about giving and about love and and he had a, a thesis that he went through in there and it began with a question he said the question that most people want to know is how, what creates love do i love based upon what i receive or do i love based upon how i give so he said well let's let's examine let's let's take it out of the realm of marriage for a minute and let's de-emotionalize it and let's analyze it let's take it let's take a let's take a kid okay anybody who's ever had kids let's say i offer my kid i will buy you a hundred dollar lego set that is already constructed or i will allow you i'll give you a twenty dollar lego set and let you build it now which one does the kid fall in love with which one which one's you going to cry more if you take it away from him or her and the answer is and again i, I some some people have kids some people don't but I, I can attest to the fact that, that you can give the kid almost a nothing but if they put their heart and soul into building it and you take it away from them it's like you've ripped their heart out what's the idea because they invested of themselves in that lego set why do, why do many people who are lonely, why do they have a dog? Or why do many people have a cat? Or why do many people, why do many people have a plant that they raise? Why does a person love the plant that they spend time tending? Answer, because I put myself, I put my, my, my work, I put my soul and my care and my concern into that plant, into raising that dog, right? By the way, another question he asked, who loves who more? Do children love their parents more? Or do parents love their children more? Now, by the way, this one should be just positive because if it's a function of, of where you get as opposed to where you give, who should who should love who should be in love with who? The children should love the parents like crazy because parents do nothing but give one way for their kids for a long, long period of time. And yet, who loves whom more? The parent loves the other. The parent loves the child more, generally speaking. Why is that? Because, says Rabbi Dessler, because you love where you give. Because the giving is a process in which I invest of myself into the other. I'll tell you even a deeper insight, he says, is that ultimately a person really loves themselves. We love ourselves. If you're a healthy person, you love, I don't mean in a negative way. A, a healthy person loves him or herself. But where I invest of myself, where I put myself, where I, where I, where I take of myself and I put it into something other, even if it's something inanimate, I build a home. I build a house, right? A person who builds a house and the house burns down, it, it's a whole different world of experience than a person who bought a house and the house burns down. One's a bad investment and the other is my life's work. Yeah. And so when it comes to, when it comes to marriage, um, I, I said, and again, I boiled this down for this guy. I said, you know, your paradigm is you're waiting for your wife to give you. I said, if you want to love your wife, start giving to her. If you want to love your wife tomorrow morning, when you get home, get up early, make her a cup of coffee, you know, ask her what you can do. Tell her at the end of the day, you know, you bring, bring home flowers and take her out to take her out for a meal and, and do things for her and see what happens. Now, it was like there was like this. This was a group of highly trained, highly professional, highly educated, highly paid people. And they all went, oh, my God, like, you know, that is so fundamental. And such a change. Now, the, the, the postscript of the story was this guy came back about two months later, and he said, you can't believe it. My marriage has turned around. He said, I, I, I actually am loving my wife now. 
And by the way, and she had started responding to it and the whole thing. And so I'm sorry for such a long story, but it, it's, a, it's a deep concept. And, if you, and, and all you have to do is try. It doesn't, it's not an overnight thing. I suddenly become yeah. a massive giver. But if I put it on my calendar, I put it in my phone, it pops up every day, do something nice for my spouse, do something nice for my significant other, it just begins to change the paradigm. And that's how it works. So let me play devil's advocate here just a little bit. I love that sure. concept, by the way. I'm just playing devil's advocate for the sake of playing devil's advocate. Sure. Um, I did this for her. She shows no appreciation. Because that's like, in essence, right? Like that's the, the, the friction point that we kind of have to get through. We think like, I was a dickhead all these years. Now all of a sudden I'm going to be nice. She should appreciate me, right? Like it comes in with that expectation and the should. Um, how, you know, what would you say to someone that, that has that argument? I, I, I'm sure Peter can, can elaborate on this, but I, I would say to the person, you know, you have, you put up a lot of walls over the years with your taking. Yeah. It will take time to begin to chip away at those walls. Keep chipping away, keep chipping away. And by the way, if you're in quarantine together, wow, what a better way to try and spend your quarantine time. And by, and by the way, people who, you know, one of the, one of the other things is if you want, if you want to really know where your core problems are, as Peter was talking about the core problems that people have, you know, ask your wife or ask your husband, like, you know, do you think there's anything I should be working on? And then begin chipping. And giving doesn't just mean I get you a cup of coffee. Giving could mean, as, as Peter was saying, I decide to begin to work on my anger problem. And the, the chief recipient of that, of that improvement is going to be my spouse. So the giving, you know, pick a way to give and begin giving and keep going and keep going. It took a long time to build those walls between you from all the taking and from the wrong paradigm. It will take time and it'll take some persistence. I, I think that, you know, and again, I think that, you know, it's a world that we live in of instant gratification. And, and I think that, you know, when you start thinking about a marriage, we have to think long-term. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm only going to judge my, my marriage based off of what's the reaction I'm getting right now, is this working very fast? You know, you, you could pay, you could pay millions of dollars. There's no quick fix as far as how to make your marriage great. So it depends the paradigm you have. If a person says, listen, you know, if, if a person can just get to the point during this whole thing called quarantine and during this whole craziness we're dealing with, just to say, you know what? I got to start working a little bit long-term, you know, most healthy people out there have accomplished things as far as long-term goals. You went to college, that's four years of a goal. You got uh, another degree. You mm -hmm. took a course on something. So if, if you just get the paradigm and say, okay, I got to start thinking a little bit long-term. So this person, let's say, okay, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to try this giving approach and try and try some practical examples of that, which I can give you. And they say, you know what, let me try this for the next three weeks with nothing in return. Yes. And then, then you can at least begin to sniff, okay, is this going somewhere, is it not? But we get, we're so on edge that there's got to be, you know, an instant feedback. And, and when, 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 when that happens, it's one of the most detrimental things to, to marriages. Yeah. And maybe you feel that electricity when you're first, you know, married or your first night relationship because it's so new and so fresh. But for anyone to expect that kind of change for things instantly to happen, 
you know, when I have people sitting in front of me say, well, I tried this and it didn't work. Wait a second here. Are we talking about a marriage? Are we talking about, you know, uh, you know, you're talking, your doubles partner and like you tried this serve and like, like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> so if we're talking about something real, which is the most important thing in your life, which is what your legacy is to be built off of. So let's have a mature conversation. Yeah. It's, it reminds me, I use this analogy all the time, but it reminds me of people who are looking to get healthy and someone will say to them, you know what, like it's, it's diet. You got to work on your diet, you know, eat a salad. And they'll be like, why well, eat a salad? I didn't, it didn't work. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> and then right. after the salad, you still have that gallon of ice cream and the, the, the two liters of Coke. And it's like, yeah, it really, um, relationships, this, this is why I think like partnerships is just such an interesting way to look at it, but relationship is the ultimate growth opportunity and an intimate relationship is the ultimate of the ultimate growth opportunities. And where I'd like to take the conversation now, because I, I kind of felt there was this like overarching concept to the book. Um, and it really poked at something that I think is very fundamentally flawed in the way that people perceive relationships. And that is that, um, I, I didn't write it the exact way you wrote it, but I'll just say it's like that we're different. You know, her and I, he and he, she and she, whatever, we're different. And we, in, in the lust phase, the differences are exciting the, you know, dopamine charges and all that stuff leave the body after about 18 months. And now you're faced with the, with the reality of who this person is. And now all these differences annoy the crap out of you. Yeah. And you feel like, because we're so different, we need to be running into the opposite ends of the world. And I felt like that was the concept of the entire book was constantly leading back to the magic of the differences. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that because I think that's such a simple shift in perception that someone can start to create that allows them to kind of come back together. Right. That, that's another one of those things that the mystics have, have a lot to say about. And, you know, what, what frequently draws me to another person, as you mentioned, kind of like in that, in that romance phase, is, wow, you know, I'm a super introvert and she's such an incredible extrovert. Or, or I'm so this and she's so that, or he's so this and I'm so that. And it's just mesmerizing to see somebody who's just so different and wow, opposites attract and you know, like two you know, magnets pulling together. And phase one begins relationships with a, with a, with a powerful attraction without which it's hard to get interested in the relationship. And by the way, everything, in re according to, again, according to the mystics, everything in reality works in two phases. There's, a, there's an initial phase, which is inspirational, but doesn't last, but yet gets you interested and gets you involved in something. And then there comes a long-term phase of building after that. Now, this business about our being different, so it tends to be powerfully attractive initially. And that pulls us together when, again, we're the magnets and, oh, my gosh, the fireworks go off when you take, like, these two different, the positive and the negative charges you put them together. It's like, you know, when, you, when you're trying to jump your car and you, you tap those two things together and the sparks fly. It's amazing. And then, you know, as we say, the curtain falls at that point in the movie because they've fallen into each other's arms. 
And then the next day, the curtain rises when the movie is finished, and that is actually Act Two, which is the, actually the beginning of the marriages, as you as you pointed out earlier, Yvonne. And 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 it tends to be at that point exactly that those differences begin to irritate me. In other words. I'm introverted not because there's something wrong with me. I'm introverted because a person shouldn't be so extroverted and so superficial and so social. And why does she have to be talking all the time? You know, or I'm, you know, X and again, he's Y. And why does he have to be that way? It, yeah, it was so attractive to me three weeks ago or three months ago. And now it begins to grate on me. And that is exactly the point at which a certain percentage of people say, oops, wrong person again. Wrong person again, wrong relationship again, time to jump out, time to go look for Mr. or Mrs. Right another time, life has failed me again. But the reality is it's anything but that. It's actually the moment of truth where a person has to at that point make a decision and say, wow, it must be that we came together because there is a certain electricity and a certain spark that is created through our differences. And now I have to learn to A, appreciate and live with and navigate those differences between myself and my spouse. I think we give the example of like when you're like when you, um, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you, if anybody's ever had the, the, the exceptionally un, unfun thing of having a crown put in, right. And if you ever, if anybody ever chips a tooth and has to have a crown put in, they always make the crown. So it doesn't really fit. So it's too big. And then what happens is they put it in that space where your old tooth used to be, and you have to grind it and grind it and grind it and grind it and grind it until it finally fits in perfectly. If you put it in and it's too small so that it doesn't have any friction, it doesn't work like the old tooth does. If you put it in too big, it can't fit like that until you begin to grind it and make the, all the adjustments. And that's what happens in a marriage is I now have to make way and begin to appreciate how my spouse is different than me. That's, that's kind of what's called the negative difficult side. The other side is, wow, because my spouse is different than me, that means I have certain, I have certain uh, assets that my spouse doesn't have. My spouse has certain assets that I don't have. That's how we begin to build each other, is by bringing to each other what we are lacking. And that's how, that's how we become something bigger than we are. If I marry someone who's exactly like me, we can't really, I'm not lacking anything that he or she can give me, and she's not lacking anything that I can't, you know, that I'm, that I'm in a place to give to her. So what can we build that's bigger than ourselves? But when we're, when we're different, we can create something, again, put it in the world of business. I, I'm the great entrepreneur, you know, the, 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 the big thought leader, you know, I'm that, you know, that, that, that out-of-the-box guy. Well, that, that out-of-the-box you know, person always needs that bean counter, highly controlled, down-to-earth, how do you make it real? How do you count the, you know, how do you actually finance it? How do you distribute it? How do you make it work? That those two people are always potentially going to fight with each other because their visions are so different. But when they make space for each other and respect each other, they build. That's how you build the business, and that's the same thing in a marriage. Yeah, Peter, did you want to add something? No, um, I mean, listen. Uh, you know, I think that that listen. You know, if you look at if you look at the statistics on second marriages. It's not such a simple game, and we live in this dream world, and and it happens a lot. Social media kind of feeds on this a lot of always making us feel that you know that option would be better, and maybe I should have done X, Y, and Z, and you know what would it have been like if this, and you know you know I probably if I if I had to say the line which I've said the most during my marriage advice career, is that great marriages are built. 
They don't just happen. And, and that, you know, comes back to that bigger paradigm of people saying, okay, here's what I have in front of me with all the differences like you're talking about right now. Am I going to go for this or not? Yeah. There's, there's a, a part here that as we uh, begin to wrap up, I'd just love for you guys to maybe touch on <clears throat> with this differences part. So my, from what I've seen, people suck at having powerful communications with their spouses. And the way that most communication occurs, I'm not saying given, but occurs to the person receiving the communication is they are left uh, feeling blamed, feeling shamed, uh, feeling made wrong, all of these things. And the second any of us, I don't care who you are, any of us feel shamed, made wrong, whatever, we automatically go into defense mode, dig in our heels and fight back. And it creates this vicious cycle so someone with the best of intentions, right? Like they may have wanted to communicate something that they just became aware of, but the way they communicated sucked so bad that it made the other person so defensive. And this great idea went right out the window. And now they're just like, why well, again, right back like to like, I tried. So, you know, any tips on, on how to communicate these things, especially in the beginning, so that it's received in a loving uh, way and we feel like uplifted instead of uh, being made wrong? Okay, so I'll, I'll take a stab at this, okay? Uh, I'm gonna tell you this, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna answer the question, um, and I've done a lot of research on the world of communication especially in the professional, in your professional life. And, these, and I can basically, what, I, what I've tried to come up with is something, a, a, a model of communication that I think works across the board. And it basically comes down to two things, okay? When you're trying to discuss difficult issues in life, especially with a spouse, um, there are two fundamental ideas behind great communication. If you do not have these two fundamental ideas, See you later. You're done. I love this. Okay. Number one is timing. Okay. (laughs) People stink at timing. They just stink at it. Unfortunately, we live in this reality in our marriages of the world of urgency that, you know, it's got to be spoken about right now. Wait a second. I've been married 17 years. It doesn't need to be spoken about right now. We can wait. Okay. You know, and, and, and what's fascinating is that timing is everything. You take a couple, okay, and you take the same conversation and you have it at the wrong time or the right time, it's a game changer. Let's say, for example, you have an issue that you want to speak to your spouse about and it's a difficult issue. You pick the wrong time when to discuss that either because people are preoccupied at work or it's still post the difficult emotions of the interaction or whatever it may be. And you try to have that conversation right now. As, as soon as your spouse opens their mouth, you are on the defense ready to attack. It's like the movie gladiator. Okay. Yep. But all of a sudden you have that conversation in the right time. All of us have seen that some of the most romantic 
okay, moments, some of the moments which create the most chemistry is when you have those difficult conversations in the right way, that can create a whole new level to your marriage. So a lot of times in the world of waiting, it means like this. Let's say I something I need to speak to my wife about. And I pick a time that, you know what, even though I'm frustrated by it right now, I'm going to wait till, you know, Saturday night when the kids go to bed and we're hanging out on the couch with a glass of wine, I'm going to bring it up then. That can lead to now one of the most romantic evenings ever. Okay? But we get stuck in that world of urgency, and therefore, when you do it, it's huge. If you feel that it has to happen now, that's usually a clear indication which you should say to yourself, wait. Okay? Number two is how you say it. You know, if you look at the world of communication, you know, especially with our spouses, do we say things in attack mode? Or do we say things in the world of, we need to work on this together. How can I help our marriage? This is what I think will work best for us as a team. So as a person on the attack, or as a person speaking about us as a unit together, how can we deal with this? How can we work on it? How you say it is huge. And even more than that, that if you look at actually when a person speaks, most research basically shows that either when a person speaks, about 7 to 8% of your communication are the words you say. Everything else is the whole vibe, the Absolutely. body language, the voice, this and that. And therefore, if a person speaks with the right words and you get that other 92% worked out, therefore, how you speak, okay, is a huge, huge, huge um, kind of factor in whether the conversation is going to be something which builds you or can destroy you. Yeah. Out of all the things I've looked at marriage seminars and communication seminars, you have these two things in play. Difficult conversations can be the backbone to allow you and your wife to move to a new level. If you don't have these two things in play, then it can be a destructive force. And therefore, if you could always check yourself before those difficult conversations and say, are these two things there? then that can be a clear kind of indication of whether or not you should move forward or not. If you can't answer affirmative 100% on both of these things, it's not the right time yet. Yeah, I love that. I, um, there's an analogy. I'm very visual, so I like, like visual examples. But the way I tell people when you walk into any communication, whether at home or you're negotiating or whatever, it's like there's, there's the you here, and then there's a huge movie screen behind you. And the movie screen behind you is just airing all the stuff that you have. Like if you're worried, if you're concerned, if you're angry, if you're fine, it's like all, and they can see all of it. And because I think human beings, we all have this sensory ability where we've all been sold by a person who said everything right. And you're like, I'm never buy from this human being. Like they're, they're slimy. I don't know why. And someone be like, why didn't you? Like, I don't know. I don't know. So we, we have that piece and I think it's so important to first get clear on what's screening on the, on the backdrop because right. otherwise it doesn't matter what you can say. You can say, you know, I had examples with my dad, like, um, he would say, I love you, but we were in this rhythm where I just like, I had this story that he was trying to control me. So it, like, it almost didn't matter what he was coming with. That was kind of in the background and I always heard it. Um, so I just wanted to share that. And there's one other tip, um, 
that's worked really well for me that I'd love to share about communication. And that is telling someone what it's not before you tell them what it is. And simply put, it's like, you know, especially with your spouse, you know, the things that may trigger them or how, if they hear you say a certain phrase or word, they're going to receive that. And it's not at all what you mean. So like, you'll say like, Hey, listen, I want to share something with you. And it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate you, or it doesn't mean that I don't love you, or it doesn't mean that I don't think you're spending enough time with me or whatever it is. So as I share this, you know, you might hear those things come up and I just want you to know that is not at all where I'm coming from and then share what it is that you want and then just pay attention. Like their face might twitch or their body might pull away or shut down or whatever. And it's those little cues that, you know, it's like maybe the thing that I shared isn't landing the way I wanted it because at the end of the day, what we say is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's how is the, how is what we're saying being received? Like if you focus more on what they're hearing than what you're saying, it's going to change the conversation because you can try million times to say something till they finally hear it the way that you intended for them to. And that's that you can be 100% responsible for. It's not that like, Oh, I said it, but they didn't listen or they did. Okay. Yeah. You can, you can come from that place or you can say, look, my, my first attempt or a hundredth attempt didn't land the way I wanted to, to land. I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep doing this over and over until it lands. Um, just to add on to there, just, yeah, just please. one small thing, just a, a different shift, but also in this world of communication is that, you know, spouses are really great at communicating, you know, all the issues that are happening. But the reality is that there's a lot of good things happening as well. And even though we kind of see those as expectations, well, of course, my wife should be doing that. Or of course, you know, there's a lot that our spouses, especially now, are doing for us. And I think that the more we can also go out of our way, not as like a slimy, like, you know, tactic of, you know, how to manipulate your spouse. So when you actually do have that bad thing to say, but <laughs> there, there, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of so much that's being done. And, and, you know, it's a whole separate topic of the world of appreciation. But I think that if people can also become better at pointing out the things that your spouse is doing, that are, that are things that are going well, and things that you appreciate about them, that also obviously is a tremendous boost for the relationship. Yeah, it it starts, I think, with you. And you spoke about this, uh, Peter, before. It's like it's very difficult to appreciate outwards before you can appreciate inwards. So it's like if you don't have self love and self appreciation, it, it becomes very difficult to appreciate another. So if appreciation is something that's very hard to like roll off your tongue to appreciate others, you first may want to look at something as simple as like, where do I not appreciate myself or how can I appreciate myself more? And I think it becomes a lot more um, natural to then, to then do that outwardly. Right. Um, can, I leave you, can I leave you with one last mystical Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. On, on, that, on that subject, there, there is a concept that, that, in a way, when you hear it trivially, it, it's, and again, it's another one of these concepts that you, you react against negatively when you hear the trivial version, which is fake it till you make it. But there really is a, a very deep concept 
again, from the mystics, that the only way to change your insides is to change your outsides. If I change what I'm doing, I will eventually become that thing that I'm doing. So for example, a person looks at his or herself and says, I'm stingy. You know how you get around stinginess? You don't read a book about how to become giving. You, you basically start, well, you might have to read a book to, to get this piece of advice, but the piece of advice is going to be, put your hand in your pocket and give away some money and then write a check to that charity, and then take some of your time and go spend it at that soup kitchen, and then go and do this thing. And even though it's not you, and by the way, you're even being a hypocrite. You're even being a hypocrite when you're doing it, because what's a hypocrite? That I'm thinking something different than I'm doing, or that I'm saying. Well, guess what? Hypocrisy is what changes, is what changes us into better people. I'm saying hypocrisy, and again, just to jar the ear, but it, it really, in a deeper sense, only by acting in a way that's actually higher than what I am internally, can I actually grow to be a bigger person and a better person. So you're right, that, that wounded child who was abused or neglected by the parent and therefore is, is just wrapped up inside and defensive, and anytime my spouse says something to me, I'm transferring my, you know, my controlling mother's face onto my spouse's face, and... Well, the, the way out of that is you actually have to like begin to, to tell, you have to begin to say things you might not even mean at the moment. You have yeah. to, by the way, the same way that when you first met your spouse, you were acting, you were mm -hmm. acting, right? The, the way you made sure your hair was perfect and the way you made sure you smelled good and the way you ran around the car to open the door for the other person. Do you still do that now? Right? Well, how come? Well, the answer is because I was acting. Well, why were you acting? And the answer is because I know that's what a person's supposed to do, and I wanted to make a good impression. So if I know that my spouse needs to hear every day, you know, I'm the luckiest person in the world that you married as you love like me. You know, you're amazing. And by the way, you look awesome today. And by the way, you know, that salad you made yesterday, I know you don't like vinaigrette dressing, but you're willing to make it for me. And that was like, I really appreciate that. Do you really feel that deeply at that moment? Maybe, maybe not. But if you say it enough times, you will actually become, you'll become, you will, you'll become that person that begins to appreciate your spouse much more. And I love you. I love you bringing that through. There's um, a part that, just an inquiry that I've always had. You know, I think each human is programmed a certain way. Like, like each time we we embody, there's just certain things that come easy in this lifetime, and there's certain things that kind of go feel like very much against the grain. So one of the things is I, I grew up and I, one of my core issues was I felt like a loser. So everything in life, I had to win, I had to win, I had to win, but it made me very self-centered and constantly focused on me having to win. And when I started doing personal development work, I realized I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I've been selfish and you know, just self-centered and all these different things. And I would make myself very wrong for being that way because out there, right? That is a very terrible trait of a human being. Like giving is the thing and, and all that stuff. And so at some point something switched and I realized that I came with a certain program and the things that were least disposed at like the things that come the hardest to us might be those avenues that we get to look at as like, why did we come program this way? Maybe that's the biggest growth opportunity. It's like through that friction. And so for me, where it's like my brother is, is much more empath, right? So like he feels everyone's energy. That stuff didn't come to me. 
But now it's such a rewarding piece to work on, to open myself up and feel more and be more conscious of others. Look, I don't do it perfectly. I do it way better today than I did it 10 years ago or even five years ago or even a year ago. And that excites me. And I think, you know, uh, I think Peter, you had mentioned about anger. It's like, if that's your thing and that's where you're quick and easy to go to, that's the knee jerk reaction. Then maybe the growth opportunity of like finding peace or finding acceptance, maybe that's the part that's really challenging, but like, that's also the part that's going to be the most rewarding in this lifetime. And so instead of looking at these things like, Oh, I'm screwed and blah, like, no, you, you could, you could look at it that way, but yeah, maybe it's, it takes you a little bit more effort than the other person, but it's also just such a gift when, when you can play that game. And, um, I've just given myself permission to mess up continuously on that path and not just expect, you know, that it's going to like, I'm just going to snap my fingers and be that way. Um, but yeah, I think we all have things that we that they're a struggle for us. And, and for some that might be relationship or acknowledging one's partner or uh, being grateful or being peaceful in certain moments, things like that. And I, um, I love that you guys, the book felt like a bit of a challenge um, in the best. I, I say that in the best way possible, not that it was a challenging read, just that it's like, it, it urges you to wake up and look at the relationship in such a different way. Um, and I hope that, you know, for those that were listening in or just watching live that you guys got a sense of what Todd and Peter are bringing through, which I think is really, really beautiful. And at a time like this more than ever. So, um, as we wrap up a couple of things, any final thoughts for anyone that you wanted to share, uh, while they're, you know, living quarantine life and then after uh, you know where can people find you and connect with you and, and purchase a book so i'll just sure. give this final just wrap up i think that just as far as you know i i just really think that like i like what i said before is that we are isolated from everything in this world right now and the one thing you're not isolated from is your marriage and you know i don't care what race or religion you are for people to kind of hear that message and embrace that message. You know, I, I've spent a lot of my life and a lot of money investing into how people can have the world of happiness. And I have seen nothing greater than when people really have true happiness in their marriages. And I think that if people just take advantage of the opportunity right now and see it as this can really be such a game changer for your marriage, for your personal happiness, and probably for the legacy that you leave in this world, I think that we can look back on this chapter of coronavirus and say, although it was difficult and it was tragic on so many levels, look what I did accomplish. And I would just say that, you know, the biggest fear in our life should always be the fear of a missed opportunity. And I think that there's an opportunity here right now that if people take advantage of it, it can truly be an amazing thing for them. Beautiful. I love that. And, uh, and you can find us at www.notapartnership.com. And uh, if you hit forward slash personal development, then people who are on this podcast will actually get some uh, a special offer and, uh, and access to some special things and our Facebook group and things like that. So awesome. thank you so much. Thank yeah, you so much. it was an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for taking time out of your 
family and day. I know that you guys are locked up like we are here in uh, in self quarantine. Israel's been doing some amazing things on the on the world scale when it came to uh, this virus, which is amazing. And yeah, keep doing this uh, amazing work. I think now is as good a time if ever, as Peter was saying, to to actually look at this stuff and uh, just my final piece to everyone is give yourself patience and grace. Like it, this, I don't care how dire you think your situation is. I have seen the most miraculous shifts. Uh, people basically on the, on the verge of signing divorce papers to completely changing the script and having another child together, like, like those kind of level. And it just, it takes the first step. So if you leave here, whatever feels good as your first step, maybe the first step is, Hey, I'm going to go buy that book. I'm going to go listen to a podcast, whatever that first step is. You don't have to look at the whole mountain, just one step today. And then follow that, that thread. Uh, Peter Todd, absolute pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Everyone else, thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please share this with your friends. I think now is a, a good time to be sharing stuff like this. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Have an amazing day, everyone. Thank you so much, okay? Thanks, thanks so much, Elon. I really hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation as much as we did delivering it. And as always, thank you for your continued loyal support and your listening. Now, if you haven't already done so, please make sure you go to Facebook right now and request to join our amazing private group. It's called Personal Development Without the Fluff. It is a quickly growing community with amazing souls and amazing support. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, I can absolutely guarantee that you will love that group. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you head to satoriprime.com forward slash my Satori, you can grab that latest 90 minute mind expanding training for free. So go grab a notepad, a drink and buckle up for that one amazing ride. Well, until next time, have an amazing day, my friend. We look forward to personally connecting with as many of you as possible and seeing how Satori Prime can help you achieve your dream life today.